Welcome to Mastering Agility. If you want to listen to authentic conversations with the most inspiring guests, find like-minded people in the Mastering Agility Discord community or both online and face-to-face events, this is the platform for you. Grab a drink, sit back, and join professional scrum trainers Sander Dorr, Jim Sammons, and their guests in an all-new episode. Welcome, everyone. This is your host, Jim. Sunder is not with us today. He's having a little bit of technical difficulties at his end, so I am very pleased to talk to Jeff. And Jeff, take a moment and introduce yourself to our audience. Right, uh, my name is Jeff Gotthelf. Um, I'm the co-author of Lean UX, Sense and Respond, Forever Employable, Lean versus Agile versus Design Thinking, and then uh, an upcoming book on OKRs with Josh Seiden. I've worked as a designer, a product manager, a team leader, an entrepreneur, and these days I spend my time as a uh, cor- uh, keynote speaker, corporate trainer, and um, a coach to large and medium-sized organizations, primarily helping them build great products and build in the processes that build great products, and then working with their leadership teams to help them build the culture and support that builds great products. So uh, that's where I spend my time and that's what I do these days. And it's uh, it's a lot of fun most of the time. <laughs> well, I might want to ask about those days when it's not so much fun because yeah. I've had a number of those over the last couple months. But um, so you and I have not, I don't think we've met um, Definitely a big fan of your work. Recently listened to Forever Employable. Hmm. And one question before I get started, where, where are you calling us from? Barcelona, Spain, today. That's what I thought. I thought Sunder had told me you were you were in Spain and, and all that. So welcome. I, for the audience, they, they know we move around. I am coming to you live outside of Glacier National Park in Montana. It's absolutely beautiful fall up here. Wow. Uh, very early in Montana, but... That's how important this chat was for me because Forever Employable is extremely topical to me. I know it's topical to Sunder because he spent uh, a couple days with with me in my home a few weeks ago, and we talked about many of the concepts from Forever Employable. So why take us through just maybe a very brief background and why'd you write it? Yeah, so which is interesting. It's a good question because if you look at the books that I have written, Forever Employable is a bit... It's a bit of a left turn or a bit of a kind of a fork in the road if you think about. So the books have been about, you know, uh, UX and Agile, Agile and design thinking, building Agile organizations. You sense a theme there, right? Um, And Forever Employable was really focused around deliberately designing a career situation where uh, you weren't at the mercy of an employer as much anymore, that really you kind of created a situation for yourself where there were always opportunities coming to you. And the reason why I wrote the book is because I started getting a lot of inbound inquiries. I still do on, on a regular basis from folks who ask questions like, how did you get that book deal? Or how did you get uh, that speaking gig? Or how did you build your business? Um, how did you land that client? And, in, you know, at first it was, it was one-off emails and I said, well, maybe I'll write a, a blog post about this. And then I realized there's probably a bigger opportunity here and there's a lot more to say than a blog post. 
So um, I ended up writing this book. And so that's why I wrote it. There was inbound sort of demand for folks asking how I built the business and the career that I have today and, and me wanting to share that back in a practical way that hopefully some folks will apply and give, you know, give it a shot and see how it goes. Yeah. I love that. Hey, you were, you know, it's very UX thinking, right? You were responding to a need. You, you had some validated needs, maybe not a huge amount that might be statistically relevant, but there was clearly a need. And I think that, you know, the last number of years have told you there's definitely an audience for this. Um, one of the key things that I took away from this, and this might sound a little pessimistic, but that's not my intent, is it feels like in your your five steps, you've got to become really good and okay with self-marketing. Yeah. I hear from a lot of people that I talk to that are maybe very technically good. They have a lot of acumen in what we do, but marketing fee- themselves feels very foreign to them. What would your advice for someone like that be? Well, first of all, you're right, right? This this book is about figuring out ways that you are comfortable sharing your expertise and finding and building an audience and then delivering products and services to that audience in a variety of different ways. So to the folks who aren't comfortable doing this, I think, look, I believe this is a critical skill these days. I think there are a lot of folks in our industry, a lot of folks vying for the same positions. Currently, the market isn't particularly great. Um, How do you stand out? And I think that relying strictly on your employment history or a portfolio of work or a brand name in your past where you worked um, to get you the next job is risky. I think it's tremendously risky. And I think a lot of folks are finding that, particularly as you kind of enter sort of the middle part and the later part, uh, later stages of your career, I think it becomes increasingly more difficult. And without a proper amount of self-marketing, I think you run the risk of not standing out in a crowded field. Um, That doesn't solve the problem of comfort, (laughs) with with Mm -hmm. doing it. And I think that the book talks about this a bit is finding the format, the channel, the delivery method that suits you. And there's tons of them Mm -hmm. now, right? Even since even the book came out in June of 2020, kind of the the heart of the pandemic. Um, It's three years later, three years and change later. And there are even more ways to reach people in new and different ways, right? So maybe maybe you like writing, okay? So write. Maybe you don't like writing. Can you make <laughs> videos? Maybe. Maybe you can do that, um, right? Are there, um, you know, maybe tweeting or LinkedIn posts or uh, infographics or, I, I don't know, comments on code repositories, whatever, like, you know, maybe it's just being the, the advice guru on a particular website. Um, there are, uh, an infinite number of ways for you to reach an audience and to start to share your expertise with them. And if this is something that you want to do, if you find particularly if you read the book and you find the idea valuable, you're going to need to figure out where you're comfortable 
sharing and how you're comfortable sharing your experience and your expertise. So there's, there's no, there's no magic answer here. It's just experimentation and then experimentation in format and delivery channel, right? And then it's experimentation in how best to like how to, how to optimize that choice. So let's say you choose to make po- a podcast, right? Or you choose to make a mm-hmm. you know, 10 minute YouTube videos. Great. Um, how you ch- how you optimize that to f- to reach an audience is, is the next experiment. But at first, try to find one of these channels that you're comfortable at least trying. I think that that yeah. that's for a good point. I, I think you touched on a key concept there that I've seen is when in your career is this right to do for you as an individual? And one of the things I see is people try and maybe make this change way too early. And I don't think it's ever too early to begin creating this backlog of, actually, maybe that's the wrong word because of the definition out there for that, but this this catalog of your contributions to the world. So, But if you're in year two of your career and you're maybe in, in you know, you're still navigating the industry, you're still navigating corporate America in your chosen field, et cetera, you might not have enough compelling stories to tell. You might not have enough experience, but I have actually advised someone to document their, their first year. I said, how amazing would it be for somebody to read the trials and tribulations of year one in walking into a meeting and feeling completely out of your element and scared shitless? Like, I said, that would be compelling reading for me. So I, I don't know. What do you think about this? Like, so maybe I'm talking myself out of there's a right time. It might just be, don't try and build your personal brand around 20 years of experience with the Fortune 500 if you're really actually only in 18 months in and you're still figuring it out. What, exactly, what, do, you, what do you think about that, that idea? Okay. It's exactly right. It's exactly right. And when... I was kind of making the rounds originally for, for Forever Employable when it first came out. I spoke to to groups of folks who were still in school, people in their first year of school, people just fresh out of school, and they asked the same question. They said, look, I don't have any experience, right? I don't, mm-hmm. I don't really have any expertise. I went to college. I went to school. I have a degree, but I really haven't had a chance to apply that work practically yet. Okay. T- tell the story of finding that first job. Tell the story of that terrifying first meeting that you had to walk into with the boss. Um, people want to hear that. There are lots of people in that position. They want to know they're not alone. They want to know how you handled it. They want to know that you were scared. And mm-hmm. that yes. starts to build an audience that will come with you throughout the various stages of your career, right? So they will have been with you from the beginning and they can watch you grow and watch you stumble and watch you, you know, overcome and, and those types of things. And you become a part of their world over the years. And I think that that's tremendously powerful. I have a, I have a daughter who's studying UX design, the, the family business. I'm very, I'm very proud. And I swear I had nothing nice. to do with it. It was completely her choice. Um, mm-hmm. but, yeah. a likely story, yeah. dad. I'm a dad too of a daughter and I, my daughter is, uh, also in the early stages of my career. So I, I get it, but, but tell me more. I'm excited. I'm in, yeah, no, she's, but she's, she's in year three of, of a four year degree. And, you know, I, I encourage her regularly to start writing, start writing now, right. Just, or, or sharing or whatever, whatever format she's most, most comfortable with. 
but do it now. Like, Hey, I'm in year three of my UX degree and this is a cool class and this is a terrible class. And I have no idea how this is relevant to UX. And, you know, if you come back to it a year or two from now, when you're actually in the workforce and maybe you can tie it back to it and say, you know, in year three of school, I took this Arduino course and honestly, it was fun. Got to build a robot, but otherwise I had no idea how it connected to UX. And then today I'm building interfaces for robots, right? So, and that Arduino course has totally come in handy, whatever, right? Like, I don't know what the future holds, right? But the, the point is, is um, even for her who, I mean, she has no real UX experience. She's got stuff to share. And I think that you have to look at that, at it that way. And you have to look at it mm-hmm. from your singular point of view. Right. Because mm-hmm. we talk about this in the book, right? That there is nobody else that has your story. Right. There could be, let's say you started some mega corporation on your first day of, of work and there's a hundred people doing, you know, orientation that day with you. Okay. It's a hundred people doing the same thing as you, but no one has your perspective on it. Right. right. No, because no. they're not coming in there with your background, with yeah. your schooling, your family life, your your network, your friends, et cetera. And so my daughter's a few years out of college now. I'm curious if you've heard this rebuttal from yours is whenever I talk, because I have made similar suggestions over the years as she finished her degree and about maybe not uh, creating a personal brand, but capturing things like remember these moments, remember these epiphanies, remember these ahas you're having now. And the answer I got, and it's, I had a lot of empathy towards it was, are you kidding? I'm in full on sponge data acquisition mode. I don't have any time to think about being creative or think about writing or think about doing stuff. And then college ends and your, your, your career starts. And now you're, you're in those scary meetings and you're feeling all those things and you're learning and you're, you're feeling all that imposter syndrome and uh, stress. And it might feel like, oh, this, isn't, this also isn't the right time to document, tell a story, build those things. You and I might say, I think that's absolutely the right time. If, if nothing else, document them. Because once two years go by, you're going to forget that story. Yeah. And it's not going to come across as maybe robust as it would in the moment. Yeah. A hundred percent. Right. And I think, look, I, I, this is the perfect time. I agree with you a hundred percent. Look, I have friends who are into journaling, right? Every day they write whatever happened today. And the value of that to them is massive. And occasionally they, they, they will, they will share something from, Hey, two years ago, I wrote this on this date and look where I am today. That type of thing. These are busy people. These are people with mm-hmm. families and jobs and mortgages and careers and, you know, what, whatever else keeps us busy these days. And uh, they, it's like going to the gym, you know, you have to make the time for it. In this particular case, you don't have to make a lot of time for it and it's, it doesn't hurt <laughs> like the gym, mm-hmm. per se, <laughs> but, but it's, it's, if you can build that routine now, then it stays with you as you move forward in your career. So the question isn't, you know, can I, do I need to block out a half day to write an article? Question is, can I block out 30 minutes to, to, you know, make a short video or to record a 10 minute audio or to write 400 words or something about something that happened this week? You know, I blog every Monday, right? 
every Monday I, I, I publish a blog. That's a muscle that I've been cultivating for years. Some weeks that I, I take, you know, I take a little bit of extra time and maybe that blog post reaches a thousand words. That's very rare. I tend to time box the writing activity to an hour on Sunday mornings. Right. So I take an hour. I was just going to ask. That's great to know. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I try to time box the entire activity to one hour on Sunday morning. Now that's, that assumes that I've got my topic in mind. I try to enter that hour with a topic, but that's an active thought process that happens over the course of the week. Or like I had a, I had a fairly intense client engagement last week. Lots and lots of ideas came out of that. You know, and, and then when it came time yesterday, yesterday was Sunday, to, to write, I thought about the previous week. I thought about a couple of the topics that came up, kind of the big themes. I said, okay, go grab one of those. And then it's an hour, an hour, 100% to get it all done, right? To get in there, to write, to edit, to publish to the blog, to, to generate an image, to put the image in there, and, and that's it. Um, and to me, that's become a really fun challenge. You know, we always talk about time boxing in, in agile work as well. There's no reason not to time box this to yourself. Say, look, I'm going to get this done in 30 minutes, once a week, 30 minutes. That feels reasonable, right? That's, that's a, that's a sitcom episode that maybe you skip, right? On, on Netflix or whatever, um, for the benefit of the future of your career. Right. And yeah, I think that your gym analogy is excellent because, you know, I went under uh, a fitness regime a number of years ago and I realized that I was gaining strength and becoming more fit without even really realizing it by making a small amount of micro investments. And I think that's what you're kind of describing as you talk about building that muscle. One thing I was listening for and I didn't hear is it sounds like you're the only person involved with that content creation. Is that right? So there's no ghostwriter. There's no you sending your raw thoughts off to someone else to massage to get ready to publish. No. And, and there's no real massaging <laughs> that goes on, right? Uh, there's a little bit of, of maybe spell checking. And even then I, I noticed in today's blog post that I made a couple of mistakes um, when I went back to reread it this morning. Um, there isn't a lot of that. There, there's, there's writing, there's a tiny bit of editing, and then there's publishing. You know, the, people think of these, of content creation as creating these precious elements, Right. And they're not, they're transient. They're transient elements that, you know, sometimes a lot of people are going to read. Rarely is that going to be the case. And certainly earlier on in doing this, not a whole lot of people are going to read them. There's not a, uh, there's not a whole lot to, um, to, to worry about here. If, if it goes, you know, you, you ship it and people read it and they don't like it. Okay. Well, you, you're going to ship another thing in a week or, or whenever, and we're going to, we're going to move on from this thing. So, so treating these things as precious and as it's not perfect. I can't, I can't let it go. It's, 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 it's a fool's errand at this point. The goal, the goal is quantity, right? The quality mm -hmm. will come, right? It's again, like we'll use the gym metaphor, right? You don't go to the gym and lift 300 pounds on your first day. Most people don't, right? <laughs> um, you go to the gym and you lift 50 pounds on your first day. And then the next time, you know, and then you do that for a few months, and then you start to lift 60 and then 75 and then hundred, right? The, the, the quality, the, the, the improvement comes with the effort, right? So focus on the quantity and the quality will come along. Yes, abs absolutely. Um, 
so it sounds like you are aligned with Gary Vaynerchuk, or maybe he goes by the name Gary V. His model is very similar for content creators. Um, have you followed his work? Is there any overlap between your approach and his? Because he's he's very similar in you're treating this as a perfection game that is stupid. Just get it out there. You've got to make 50, 100 pieces of content. And if you've done that and they're not resonating, okay, well, now you got to look at why. But no one item, especially the early items, needs to be perfect. It's more about building those muscles and letting people see you build those muscles. And they're going to get bought into your personal growth. And they're going to look back at maybe earlier things and be like, wow, look how far he or she has came. And it feels like I'm more invested because I'm part of that growth with them. I I was there in the early days. Yep. Yeah, I, I like, uh, he has a phrase that I like, which is don't create document, right? That was a, a phrase that has stuck mm-hmm. with me from his work over the years. And it's it's exactly this, right? We, we, we have this, this pressure to create something perfect. I don't have the right gear. It's not well lit, you know, uh, the audio is crap or whatever it is. Don't create document. Just just grab, grab a photo, grab an audio, write it down, you know, take a screenshot, whatever it is, and just, just document what's happening. And then publishing mm-hmm. the, you know, from those documentations gives you the, you know, it, it, it builds that comfort level with sharing less than polished stuff. And it starts to give you a sense of where your audience is focused, what they care about, what's resonating with them. So that when you publish more things in that particular direction, yeah, you can polish them a bit more. But this idea of don't create document makes a lot of sense. Like I'm documenting uh, you know, a question that somebody asked me last week, right? I'm not creating a polished piece of content around it. Somebody asked me about dependencies last week. And I thought that was an interesting question. So it was this week's blog post, right? Like it's, it's, and it's not, look, I didn't solve the problem of dependencies in this week's blog post. <laughs> you didn't? Come on. Like, that's why I woke up early, Jeff. I needed a solution for dependencies. Right. And I didn't solve it, but but in sharing, A, that other teams are out there struggling with them, talking about how the conversation that we had about them and, and you know, the tools that, that we use to help teams, how they occasionally help that or how at the very least they kind of reveal where these dependencies are. That was the point of the blog post, right? And, and that was enough for me, right? Is it enough for my audience? I don't know, right? But well, and I find many things like that are inspirational in that you didn't, you don't have to answer it, but you might have said one phrase that is inspiring them or giving them that little aha to go investigate something. Maybe you said about visualizing dependencies, yeah, and maybe that's all they needed. Maybe they're like, "Well, I have a mural board or a mural board, and I'm going to go visualize those two things being connected there, those two things being dependent. I'm going to make that arrow." a two-way arrow to indicate this. And maybe that's all you need. And I think people like us who are consulting, teaching, and doing this type of work might make it feel bigger in our brains than it is to the listener or the audience or the reader, whoever it is. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. So this to the, I like to give the audience some pragmatic takeaways and please add to these, but two things from kind of this part of our conversation is bullet journaling is something I've been researching recently, which is a very organized and artistic way of journaling. And honestly, I, I don't have that gear. I, I want to, uh, I plan on bullet journaling, but for me, it was as simple as I use OneNote for years to capture these maybe 
not fully formed thoughts. I'd put them in a new tab. I would name the tab something that I would remember like uh, realization about dependencies or story from Mike and I at client A. Mm -hmm. And I put down what I knew and I would come back to those. And those have became stories that I now tell in almost every class I teach about a certain topic or in every workshop I run about a certain thing. And other ones are just still sitting there that I haven't went back to, but they're documented enough that I can pick up that tendril and turn it into a 400 word uh, post if I needed to. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and the other thing, and this is, this is this, you said this and I'm going to echo what you just said. When you document these events, no matter how you document them, you remember them better, right? You, you, and they stick with you a little bit longer so that when you're in a situation where that story is now relevant, you can share that as an experience. Now, in your experience, you just shared similar to mine, when I'm in front of a class and somebody says, oh, I have an issue with dependencies. I was like, you know what? Three weeks ago, I was with another client, different industry, talking about dependencies. Here's what we talked about there, right? Hopefully that helps you with that, with, with your work. And so this idea of capturing your, do, documenting these, these events, it's beneficial in a variety of different ways, it, not only in building sort of a, a backlog of content that you can then use to, to uh, share back out, but it also can help in your day-to-day and saying, oh, right, this has already happened to me once before in another place. Let's share that here and see if we can learn from that and move forward. Mastering Agility only works with organizations aligned with our values, and that's exactly why we are excited to work with our sponsor. Scrum Match is the free platform for professionals run by professionals. On Scrum Match, true Scrum Masters get hired by companies serious about their popular framework. The awesome people behind this platform have decades of experience, among them a professional Scrum trainer for Scrum.org. They have interviewed, trained, and coached hundreds of like-minded people, and they use this exact experience to make you stand out from the crowd and help you get in touch with companies looking for true Scrum Masters. So go to scrummatch.com and sprint to your dream job. Yeah, and, and I think that's the power in people like like you and Sunder and I and people who have been, you know, put in the time and the effort to see a lot of different things at a lot of different places is what I hear from my clients is, they value what I know and what I'm capable of, but they really want to know what have I done somewhere else that's been effective or what has failed somewhere else. And, you know, with, without sharing client information, you're able to say, well, I've, tr-, like you just said, I've tried this and this here, and this was very impactful to cl- this client who's also in your industry and et cetera. And I, I've been asked, and I'm curious if you have, is a number of people have asked me over the years, you know, where do you get your stories from? Yeah. And the first time I was asked this question, I said, what do you, what do you mean? And they're like, well, you know, you, you always have a story about a shitty manager who did this to their team or a failed product launch that got canceled by the board. And I said, oh, I've lived every single one of those right. stories. Right. And the, the, I remember one, one client was like, are you kidding? Like every, I said, yeah, this person in that story that I told like before the last break, this is his name. This is the industry. This is what happened. I said, I might change some names and details to protect the guilty, but I lived all these. And I think that that is, I had those stories all along, but I'm actually very 
I, I just wish I had documented earlier yeah. because I know many of those are gone, you know, in the ether because I didn't document. Yeah. Them. Yeah. And, and, and yeah. they become the building blocks, particularly if you're sharing sort of professionally, right? You're sharing your expertise and your experience professionally. And, and, and those become the building blocks of what it is that you're sharing, right? The, these experiences and whether you, you've had them, you know, as part of work or as part of learning or whatever it is. And, and then what ends up happening is that people begin to associate you with a certain theme of expertise, right? Whether it's UX and agile, or whether it's design thinking, or it's lean startup, or it's being a scrum master, or it's DevOps or whatever it is. And when they need answers, they come to you. And then ultimately when they need help, they come to you. And that help could be, hey, I, I, can you help me answer this question? Can you come teach a class? Can you come give a talk? Do you want a full-time job? You know, there's a, a variety. Can you consult with us? There's a variety of different formats that that help can come in, but that's what begins this kind of virtuous cycle of you you putting it out, putting your ideas out there generously, and then good things kind of coming your way and a steady stream of those opportunities coming your way, so that when the next layoff happens or the next merger happens or the next pandemic happens or you know. Everybody wants to do what Facebook does and fire people for some reason. Um, you are not left in a lurch, right? You've got opportunities right. that are continuously inbound. And that is, to me, what being forever employable has always meant. It's this, this ability to feel comfortable no matter what the situation is, right? So if, if tomorrow my company goes under, I've got a half a dozen things waiting for me, right? They're not necessarily full-time work. Right. But I'll have something mm -hmm. to do. I'll get back out there. I've got a brand. I've got a reputation. And it requires marketing yourself that way. It's 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 requires producing artifacts based on your experience. Yeah. I have a a colleague who is in a big global multinational. He's very comfortable right now. He's been there four or five years. And uh when we worked together daily, he was on this this path to put himself in some new audiences, new communities, and life got in the way, right? Work got in the way, finishing his MBA got in the way, and we talked and he said, yeah, I kind of paused all that stuff. And I said, "And I said, why'd you pause? You, you were making great progress. It just doesn't feel like I need it right now. And I said, what do you think a future you might right. want you to do? I go, we don't do these things for now. I said, if you need it, it's too late. You got to build this this catalog, this audience, this network of people when you don't need it, because then someone is paying you to do that work. Yeah. It's great you're comfortable, but imagine doing it if if you were unemployed, if you were going to Starbucks to write that blog post, you're going to put a lot more weight on that star on that blog because you're going to feel like you need it instead of knowing you got a great job waiting for you right now. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, yeah, Th thinking about and and that's. To me, to me, that's always, you know, like everything's good right now, right? Mm -hmm. Look, I wish that everything stays good for everyone forever. I do. I do. <laughs> but it's not always the case, sadly. Right, right, right. I mean, I've been laid off more times than I can count, you know, uh, and, and, you know, I lose a client, 
you know, we lose clients regularly, not, not because of anything we did. We're always doing a fantastic job, but of course, um, but you know, budget, I lost the, I lost a big client this year to budget cuts, right? They, everyone was, everyone was trimming budgets and trying to, you know, kind of hibernating a bit and saving money. And we were an expensive consultant and they're like, Oh, Oof, we can get rid of that right away. Easy peasy. There's some money back, right? That, that costs us mm-hmm. literally nothing. Um, the, you know, like no, no, no severance. There's no HR to deal with. We just, you know, we just chop it up. Right. Um, you know, that stuff happens. It happens all the time. And so as much as we want things to go well and stay, stay well, building up this, this presence Right, and there's so much noise out there right now. And which network do I invest in? And where do you know where to find my people? That type of thing. Uh, that running those experiments now, when you don't need it, so that it's there when you do, is infinitely valuable. And again, I'm I'm, I'm not saying, and you and I have ta- said this a couple times, but I think it's worth repeating. No one is saying that you need to give up a day a week or even a half day a week for this. I dedicate an hour to blogging every week on a Sunday morning. I get up early ahead of everybody. Um, usually I'll do some kind of sport, like maybe I'll go out on my bike or, or something, think about the topic while I'm doing that, come home, spend an hour doing it, and then it's done, right? I think 30 minutes. If you could dedicate 30 minutes a week to this, you're doing more than 90% of the people out there. Yeah. It, you know, I've talked on previous episodes about my own little life hacks. And one of my favorite ones is what's called habit stacking. So I'll take something maybe that it's, it's not uh, painful, but it's not my predisposed activity to do. And I stack it with something that I do. So I listen that I do enjoy. So I listen to a lot of podcasts or business books when I'm working around the house or I'm on the lawnmower. So maybe you, you pair your Saturday morning trip to the coffee shop for that Zen time and that, that triple pumpkin spice latte to with writing that 500 words or maybe it's finding time while you wait for your your child to get out of their sports practice all those wasted times that we probably spend either doom scrolling or playing mindless mobile games or whatever and you because it's easier than ever to document today like you you can turn your 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 4k video camera that's in your pocket on you and record something. And maybe you never show it to anybody else, but maybe it reminds you when you see it, yeah. or if you know that you got it, of that thing that was really important for you right then. Yeah. And look, and, and to be even more practical, right? If 500 words sounds like a mountain to climb, write 150. I know you can write 150 sure. words, right? Like 50 of them are A and and the, right? So, so just yeah. a, a hundred <laughs> words of, of substance, right? If if writing is is a challenge for you, not a lot of folks, not everybody loves writing and some people find it difficult, um, just speak your ideas into chat GPT, right? And let, mm-hmm. let it form two paragraphs of text out of it and, and post that, right? That at least gets you started right. or, or whatever. There's, there's an infinite number of tools that allow you to get stuff out there quickly that, that at least encapsulates the idea that you had that day. So there's our metric, listeners. I'm cre- I'm capturing a new metric uh, in my life called TTAI, which is the time to AI being mentioned in a conversation. <laughs> and 44 minutes, Jeff, is pretty good. Like normally, it's a lot faster. I, I, look, I, I when there's a problem to solve, 
and AI is a tool that can solve that problem, it's okay to talk about it. And it, it, absolutely. Oh, I, I talk about it daily. Yeah. It's just interesting that it's coming up in more and more places. And so I'm not an AI hater. I've used it myself many times and I've done exactly what you just described. Like I have a draft of an article around Winston Churchill and I'm connecting Winston Churchill as a person and his leadership style to visualizing things, uh, product roadmaps and, and just general modern leadership. And Chad GPT did some background research for me based on about 800 words that I wrote about it. Is AI a part of your workflow in, in any shape or form, whether it's content creation or in your, your consulting work? Um, the images in my most recent blog posts are all Dolly created images. So if you look at the last four or five blog posts, they're all uh, because and it's funny because my, my daughter's a, my younger daughter's a digital artist and I told her I was doing this and she got mad at me. I said, why, why are you mad? I was like, I'm, like what I used to do is just grab images off the internet without, without attribution, which is terrible. And she's like, she's like, no, no, you're, well, you're stealing. I said, I'm not stealing. This is original art. She goes, yeah, but it was trained on my art. So you're stealing from me. And I was like, wow, mm, what am I supposed to do? I've heard this before. Right. Right. But what I, as, as a non-creative artist, I don't have skin in this game, but I understand the position. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I didn't, I don't know what to do. I need images for my blog posts. I could pay for them. Yeah. You know, I could pay and, and I do, I do occasionally pay for them. Um, but anyway, so the, that's, that's part of it is image generation. I tried it for writing. I hated everything that came out of chat GPT. Um, that didn't work for me, but I did, you know, what I did have to do actually, that was really helpful. I had to come up with a, um, it was like some legal I, I've, for a big corporate client. They required that my company has some kind of disaster recovery policy. Like that was a part of the compliance bit. And you're looking at my company. <laughs> like this is it, right? They're like, and so disaster recovery wasn't something I thought of. And I was, I was like, I'm gonna have to pay my lawyer a thousand bucks for them to come up with a disaster recovery policy. So instead, I I went to ChatGPT and I said, look, I need. Yeah, I need you to put together up to 10 bullet points of a disaster recovery plan for my company. This is what my company is. This is what we do. And make it sound lawyery. You know? Mm -hmm. And it came back and I submitted it to the client and they were super happy. Save me a <laughs> Yeah, I that's aw that's an awesome story. Yeah. And and I think what I think at the root of what you're talking about, whether it's AI or uh image generation. Something is whatever you're not good at, there's someone else who is really, really good at that. So if you're not great at editing and, and grammar, that's fine. Find a tool, whether a free tool or pay somebody five bucks on Fiverr or something to supplement your thing. If you're not good at video editing, record a bunch of rough videos and find a friend or a colleague or service that can do that. So I think, again, in the modern age, it's easier than ever Sometimes you might have to be willing to pay a little bit of money, but again, this this is you making an investment in a future version of yourself. Um, and you might find that you have somebody in your network who needs something that you're good at, and you can just trade service. Like, hey, if I if I edit your audio, or will you give me some of your your pictures or etc. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of solutions out there for things like that. Hundred percent. 
the the other thing I want to call our audience's attention to, and and Jeff, thank you for this, is when you told your story about losing that client because of budget cuts, a lot of people have felt that over the years. People, you know, especially in the last year. And what I've told is a lot of people is unless you're one of those people who are on TV or you're a, a pillar of a, of a company, most of us, no matter how good somebody thinks we are or how great we, they think we have it, we're still an Excel spread, a, a line on someone's Excel spreadsheet. And I've had a lot of people ask me, like, how do I make myself safer? How do I get to the point where I don't get swept up in a layoff? And I said, I don't know that you can. Yeah. But what you can do is you can make, because I'm not forever employable yet, but I will say I am on the, the path. And I would say that I now don't have the fear that I had five years ago, that I definitely that I didn't have 10 years ago. And not having that fear allows me to do more of the right things. And I think that is a self-feeding loop of well, now I'm even maybe slightly more employable in the next year because I've been ha- been able to do more of those right things. What are your thoughts on that idea of safety as maybe a reason to not become forever employable? And obviously you've made a great point in the book about how these things actually will lead to that safety. There is no safety. Um, (laughs) There isn't. I mean, you know, my best friend's dad worked at DuPont for 40 something years and then retired with a pension. That doesn't exist anymore, right? No, no one, no mm-hmm. one works anywhere for forty years. Um, I saw, I saw some guy on LinkedIn this morning announced that he was leaving his position after seventeen years at a company. I was like, holy crap, seventeen years, <laughs> right? There is, I, I think, there's tremendous risk these days in staying with an organization for that length of time. I know it's stable. I know it's consistent and I know it's comfortable and everybody knows your name and you know everybody, but the, the risk here, and I'm seeing it, I've seen it, um, is, is the risk is you get institutionalized. You learn like you work at whatever you work at bank of America. I'm just going to use that as an example. And, and you've worked there for 20 years or 25 years and you know how to do things the bank of America way. And now you, now you have to move on. For whatever reason, right? There were layoffs. There was, you know, there were budget cuts, and and you got cut, right? Just because you were there, you got cut. No one's safe. Now you're institutionalized, and and the only way you know how to do things is the Bank of America way, and 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 learning a new way of doing things is going to be is going to be incredibly hard. I don't think anyone's safe from layoffs. I don't think anyone's safe from budget cuts. Um, I will share with you a terrible. Uh, tactic that an old CEO of mine used to use. Um, I don't recommend it, but it does make a point. Um, he, you know, it was a high growth startup. There were like 400 of us who worked there roughly. And he would always say, he, he would say this in, in context where he was particularly upset with the company performance or a department's performance. He would say, he goes, none of you are indispensable or someone would be like, well, you, you wouldn't be able to do this without us type of thing, type of discussion. And he he would quote Charles de Gaulle. Apparently, this is a Charles de Gaulle quote. And he would say, the graveyards are filled with the bodies of indispensable men. (laughs) 
Yeah. <laughs> right. I, I love that quote. And we'll insert a disclaimer that we're saying not yes. to do this, but I, I definitely understand the idea. Yeah. Don't know. He, he was, he was an ass and, and this is, this is not a good way to motivate <laughs> your people. Don't misunderstand me. But, but the point is taken, right? The point is that no matter how indispensable you think you might be to an organization, you're probably not that indispensable, right? And so mm-hmm. um, building a safety net, building a, an opportunity magnet is what I call it in the book, um, is, is, is a good use of your time. That will return on the investment I guarantee it. Even if you never get fired, even if the, even if the, the budget cuts and the layoffs never come, new opportunities may come, right? Opportunities mm-hmm. that you weren't looking for, but someone says, you know, who's the, who's the number one person about AI in UI design? And they're like, oh, I keep seeing these blog posts on LinkedIn and in these videos from this person. Well, let's go find her. Let's let's we need that here. Let's make her a job offer, you know, and mm-hmm. and and. That person may never have been looking for work, but all of a sudden work shows up, right? And so this is there's a tremendous return on this investment. Yeah. So I'm looking at the time, and I know that I probably only have time for one more question. So I want to ask a slightly self-serving one, but I think it's one that will resonate with a lot of people. Because I'm doing a lot of the things that Forever Employable suggests. I teach. I teach licensed accredited classes. I teach my own creative workshops. I consult, I give back. I love the idea of generosity and reciprocity in the book. So um, that is something that needs to get out there more. Um, my, my advice, and I'm not, I'm not you, I, just so everybody knows, I don't have four or five books to my name like Jeff does. But the, in the book, he talks about if somebody does something nice for you, do something in return for them. My advice, and it, please respond to this if you think I'm off base is don't make that feel transactional. I've had a number of people that I've done something nice for not expecting anything in return. And the thing they did nice back to me made me feel actually really gross. Like there, it felt really weird to get an Amazon gift card in the mail. True story. Swear to God. Um, But I think there is such a genuine authentic way to do it. That makes it very impactful. Yeah. Um, look, there is no, you, you should have no expectations, right? This is, this is a key moment of this, right? If you, if, if you, if you think that, Hey, I wrote that blog post and shared my experience. Why, why is no one hiring me? Right. This, the, the cycle time on these, this is, this is the frustrating (laughs) part of this. The, the cycle time for the return on these investments is unpredictable. I will, for Mm -hmm. example, uh, I, I've gotten off stage at a conference and had somebody come up to me immediately and say, let's talk. I love what you're saying. And, and I got a, a really nice consulting gig out of it. And I have written a blog post and three years later, somebody emails me and says, oh, I read this blog post and the date on it is like from three years earlier. <laughs> and it's like, let's talk. And then in some work came out of that as well. So the, the cycle mm-hmm. time is complete. It's, it's frustrating to no end. I really would love to be able to say, you know, when I'm on stage, the cycle time of, of getting, you know, three inbound leads after an event is a week or it's 10 days or it's a month. It's impossible to know. Right. Absolutely. Like my, so just, yeah, I, I think, 
Absolutely. I think we all owe Dan Vacani like 25 cents now for mentioning flow metrics. So the time to flow metrics was uh, 56 minutes, so a little better. But my biggest client right now went dark for three years. I did something for them three years ago, nothing in between, email out of the blue. And I even asked them, why'd you remember me? What, what stuck? What, you know, what, what generated this uh, call out of left field? So I think it's a, a great point you're making that the payoff on some of these investments is not like day trading. It can be like a blue chip stock. You might have to hold on to it. You might have to make a lot of those small investments over the years and don't expect anything. Yeah. But I would say if you don't invest in the market, I can guarantee you're not going to make any money in the market. So if you don't invest in those things with yourself, it is highly unlikely somebody's going to call you out of the blue and offer you your dream gig or a great engagement, et cetera. Exactly. Exactly. And 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 yeah. it, you, you, because you have no idea where it's going to come, it's, you know, you're just going to just give it away. And be happy that someone's benefiting from your knowledge. That that's the only way. It's the yeah. only way to sort of to sort of for me anyway to reconcile that is is I'm going to share this so that hopefully I, I someone can I can save someone a step, right? Yeah. And if the end of that happens, yeah. terrific. And if some work comes out of it in the future, terrific. Awesome. Well, um, let's end with if you can give me a, a just a short and pithy answer to the people out there. They're, they're doing maybe a little bit of the, the, the concepts in Forever Employable, but the majority of their weeks are spent doing their work. And they're at that point you were at where it's like, what if I, I can't stop doing the thing to focus on building the brand, building the content to do the thing because they, that feels risky. So how do you know when or that you have to make space for that or when the right amount of space to make for that is to move to that personal marketing from doing just, just do it now. Like there's no, I started when I was 35 and I feel like that was 13 years too late basically. Um, and I started when I was 35 because uh, I was just, you know, I was terrified. The book starts off with a story. I, I was terrified that I was watching my older friends at the time who were 40 and 45 um, and maybe even 50 struggling to stay employed. And I, you know, I had two young kids at the time and, and, a you know, a mortgage and, and all, all the things that you're supposed to have at 35. And I was terrified that that was going to be me. And I wasn't going to allow that to be me. And I feel like I waited way too long. If I had started 10 years earlier in my mid twenties, the, the return on that investment would have been exponential. And so start now, like it's already, like if, if you haven't done it yet, Start today. It doesn't matter how old you are, how long you've been working. Just start today. Absolutely. Yep. Um, there's a Chinese proverb that says the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time is today. And as a 46-year-old who listened to Forever Employable yesterday, I will tell you that resonated with me. Like, Luckily, I've, I've started, you know, not yesterday, but yeah, there's never, it's never too early to start. So Jeff, I want to wrap up. Thank you so much for your time. I know you got a busy day, so I'm going to let you go, but thank you again from the audience. My pleasure, Jim. A pleasure to chat with you. You too. That is all for today. Thank you for listening. If you liked this episode, let us know by hitting that like button, share it with friends and colleagues, sharing a message on LinkedIn, joining our warm and welcoming Discord community, or attend recordings as a virtual audience. You can find all the relevant links in the show notes, 
We hope you'll tune back in for the next episode of the Mastering Agility podcast.